0: Hello, and welcome to Songs for the Struggling Artist, the blogcast. This is episode 303. My name is Emily Rainbow Davis. Thank you for listening. Today's blog is going to have a bad word in it, uh, so be prepared. I will mark this one explicit. It's not. The use of the word explicit for swears is so bizarre. <laughs> but that's how the podcast you that's how it works. You got to click something explicit if you use bad words. Now, the whole the whole podcast is cl- clicked for explicit so I can comfortably swear when I want uh but I try and, you know, distinguish the clean ones. I mean you I'm doing air quotes, the clean ones uh don't get marked as explicit and the ones with bad words in them do and this is going to be one of those (laughs) so buckle up um yeah (laughs) i everything's a little bit funny today i don't know why i think i've been working on the song for like the last few hours it was kind of challenging So, so i i think i've gotten a little punchy So forgive me, I guess, or maybe this is fun. I'm not, I can't quite tell. Anyway, I'm going to read this one to you. Uh, It is called, Should I Try to Work with Egotistical Douchebags? Note, I'm going to use the word douchebag a lot in this post. Get ready. But also, for context, I used to be really wary about the word douchebag, I thought the word might be connected to some thinly veiled misogyny that I didn't want to be leaning into. Then I read this blog post and now I am a convert. If you have any hesitation at all about this word, I highly recommend the journey this guy will take you on. Go on, read it. I'll link to it in the show notes. Then come back here and enjoy me talking about D-bags a lot. And now the actual post. The minute I met the artistic director of that Shakespeare company, I thought, oh, he's an egotistical douchebag. Then I saw his show. I did not want to like it, but it wasn't terrible. I mean, the thing with doing Shakespeare is the text is always interesting. So as long as you don't get in the way too much, it's possible to put on a decent show, even if you're an egotistical douchebag. And the theater business is oversaturated with egotistical douchebags, especially in positions of power. When I was really trying to make acting work as a career, I discovered that the vast majority of employers in this arena were in fact, egotistical douchebags. I think it was realizing that kissing up to this type was going to be the bulk of this job that made me start my own company. It seemed the only way to ensure that I wouldn't have to suck up to an egotistical douchebag on the regular. Anyway, at first meeting, this artistic director struck me as someone I would not even like to talk to at a party, but the Shakespeare world is smaller than you'd think, so I told myself he was nervous, talking to all those Shakespeare teachers, and maybe not the egotistical douchebag he seemed to be. Maybe he's fine. I didn't think so, but I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt. I was still pretty sure, though. I have a highly tuned douche meter. When an opportunity to submit plays to his theater came up, I thought, eh, why not? I may not be crazy about that guy, but their work isn't bad, and I just can't produce my own work the way I used to. It's time to expand my circle. Sometimes it takes an egotistical douchebag to bring plays to the world. I submitted. The play was rejected. No big deal. And when I mentioned it, a much-respected colleague let me know, in passing, that I probably would not have enjoyed my time there had I been accepted. My colleague had some experience with this guy and reported him to be an egotistical douchebag. (laughs) They recounted many nail-biting stories of douchebaggery in the trenches with this fellow in days of yore. It's very nice to have my first impressions confirmed. That's the good news here. I know an egotistical douchebag when I see one. But it has made me think, isn't practically every dude who runs a theater company an egotistical douchebag? If I wanna see my work get made by someone besides me, do I have to learn how to suck up to egotistical douchebags? I don't wanna work with douchebags. Period. But there are so many of them and they work all over the place. And there are only the smallest cracks getting made in the walls that keep them there in the seats of power. 20 plus years ago, I just thought, no problem. I'll just do it myself. But I didn't factor in all the ways the system is designed to support egotistical douchebags, young and old, and leave the others in the dark. The light shines on the egotistical douchebags, and the more light shines on them, the brighter they get, and the rest of us can never really make it out of the shadows. Sometimes, the only way to catch a little light is to stand next to an egotistical douchebag. This particular company, run by this particular egotistical douchebag, was founded one year before mine. Technically, this guy is my peer, along with numerous other guys who started their companies at the same time as I did and somehow found the light to thrive. I don't know another woman who started a company around then that is still going. I guess the egotistical douchebag lane is the only one available? I mean, I hope not. Running a theater company is not an easy job. There's very little money in it, It's a whole lot of work for very little reward. It's possible an inflated ego is the only thing that will keep you afloat in this world. Maybe you need to be a little douchey to get things done. I genuinely don't know. I would very much like to see my work produced by someone that isn't me. Would I like it to be produced by a douchebag? No. Do I have a choice about that? I'm not sure. That's what I'm trying to work out. Did you hear douchebag enough? I I could say it again a few times if you'd like. Here, why don't I tell you the name of the article in case you don't want to link to the show notes and you just want to hear it and search for it. The article is called Douchebag, the White Racial Slur We've All Been Waiting For. And uh, it is fantastic. This guy, Michael Mark Cohen, wrote it in 2014. And uh, I refer to it all the time. And every time I like tweet it or share it, somebody's like, oh my goodness, thank you. It, is, it, is a, it is, feels good to be a public service in some way sometimes. Um, so yeah, so a song, um, because I was obsessed with light and how light shines on egotistical douchebags and such, the image on the the blog is a spotlight, which made me think of a song from my youth called Spotlight. (laughs) And uh, I have a lot to say about this song because I instantly thought, oh, perfect, Spotlight. And uh, it's a Dave Matthews song, but if you're like a huge Dave Matthews fan and you're like, I don't know this song, what are you talking about? It's because it's a song that he used to play all the time, which is when I was listening to him, uh, seeing his shows, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it's not a song he plays anymore, apparently. In in looking it all up, I discovered that he's reported to hate this song. He thinks, I believe he calls it a turd. Um, There's a lot of gossip in the various places I found, you know, things about this song. Uh, a lot of his fans are aware of the song or like, you know, there's a couple of recordings of it from early days. Apparently there's a a demo that never got out, but then got out. Anyway, uh, the time that I was really acquainted with what was going on, it was very, very incredibly early in his career uh, in Charlottesville. And, uh, you know... Like my friend and I were at one of his first gigs and we were the only people dancing and kind of I don't know that there were that many other people just even there. So like my understanding of like what's a hit song for him is really like skewed. So I was like, oh, yeah, that hit song Spotlight, because it was, it, you know, it was very popular to those of us dancing at tracks or Eastern Standard, or Miller's, or wherever. Uh, But in fact, it has never been officially recorded. So it is actually a rather deep cut in the Dave Matthews uh, catalog. Um, But I did not know that when I was like, oh, spotlight, of course. (laughs) Boop. Uh, So, yeah. Yeah. So it's fun to learn it. And it's also kind of fun to revisit a song that I really I don't know if I'd heard since the early 90s, because I guess, you know, there's not like recordings of it. So when would I have heard it? You know what I mean? (laughs) So it it was kind of like a little it was a little little journey in my time machine back to the early 90s. And um, and learning it was also like, oh, I, I understand things about. His music that I did not understand when I was 17, you know, like, oh, I thought, oh, my God, Dave Matthews plays these really incredibly complicated jazz chords. And and in fact, I think they're just bar chords. They're, they're not actually as crazy as I perceived them to be at the time, at least in this song. And in fact, maybe they really are crazy jazz chords uh, that whoever, you know, uh, wrote them down on the internet, has adapted into less crazy jazz chords. I don't actually know anyway, uh also, like I realized, oh, he does this kind of interesting um, I'm not sure how to describe it, but like you know the 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 syllables of the of the lyrics don't always line up. You know, in the accented place, the cor- like the correct accent, um, which explains like why I, I didn't remember many of the lyrics of this song. Although also it's highly probable that this song did not have lyrics except for the chorus <laughs> before, because there were quite a few of those in those early days. Um, lyrics were not set a lot. He did a lot of... Uh, just some incredibly wacky improvisation of lyrics in those days anyway uh, there there's there's uh i've learned a lot learning this song um, and it was really fun the song one aside from the chorus, which is all that I could make out or remember from my youth, the song has absolutely nothing to do with egotistical douchebags it's really a gosh, big cities are scary kind of a song, Um, which is funny because I do happen to live in a big city. And I'm guessing it's probably the big city this song was written about. Also, there's some gossip on the Internet that this song is one that was co-written by or written mostly by a member of the band from the early days called Peter Greiser. Um, So there's also that uh, people are like, no, he doesn't think it's a turd. It's just one of the songs that Peter Greiser wrote, so they dropped it. Uh, Who knows? But all that gossip aside, I'm going to sing you Spotlight in just a minute. Meanwhile, thank you so much for listening. If you like the blogcast, please tell someone about it. Share it on your social media. Like, review, Subscribe. All of those things, if you'd like to support it, amazing. Patreon.com slash Emily R. Davis. There's also Ko-fi. There's PayPal. All those links are in the show notes. And or you can also support season two of The Dragoning, uh, which is my audio drama. We are in the middle of like working on the episodes. We're figuring out some sound. We are getting the recordings all collected. Kind of exciting. Anyway, so if you'd like to help us make that, that would be great. Uh th- that link is in the show notes as well. Uh main the main source there is Kofi. Um if you just look a, look up Messenger Theater Company, there you shall find us. Um yeah, so uh this is on guitar spotlight. Um it's a long song. So there are a couple of little hiccups I, that I, I decided to just let lie because at a certain point um, I was running into difficulty and uh, my fingers were starting to hurt. <laughs> so so I, I am at peace with the hiccups, and I hope that you enjoy Spotlight.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. to falls much harder than I recall. Out in the world, the sirens call from every corner. They say, hey, in the spotlight, life is so peachy. Yeah, 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 unless you're stretch